Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Break the Cycle with me, your host, Joshua Smith. Hope everyone's having a wonderful Wednesday. Yeah, it's Wednesday. God, I'm so bad at these day things, but I'm always trying to keep up with you guys. Uh, the people who listen are probably like, what are you talking about? It's Thursday, but that's because I upload the next day. Uh, anyways, I hope you guys are doing great. Let's talk about some sponsors. Of course, we have toplobster.com for all your wonderful graphic design needs. The man can make this great Epstein didn't kill himself hoodie that I'm wearing tonight that you should go and check out on toplobster.com using BTC at checkout for a 10% discount. Or you can join the Patreon, subscribe star, or become a member of the YouTube channel to get into the private discord where you can get a 30% discount on all of his brand new gear up to two weeks early. It's really worth it. Really pays for itself. And he's got great designs, man. It's, it's super dope stuff. And of course, executive producers of the show, anthemplanning.com for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. These people are doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at much cheaper and much more uh, efficiently. So check them out. See what they can do for your business, home or personal life, man. I'm telling you. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, guys, we've got a great show for you today. I'm very excited. Uh, this gentleman came to me, oh man, it's been probably probably two months ago or a month and a half ago we decided we were going to do a show because he came to me and uh, we were talking about his book and I did a little promotion for it on my Twitter uh, and then I bought the book and uh, it's it's really good stuff. It's definitely a new take. Uh, I mean, not a new take to some of the, the Liberty Watchers, uh, but uh, a new take for a lot of people, a new spin for a lot of people on the Second Amendment. It's called The Second Amendment, Rediscovering the Inalienable Right to Firearm Ownership and Self-Defense. It is a mouthful, and this is the author, Mr. <laughs> Stephen Daniel. Sir, how are you doing today? Great to be here, Josh. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. I appreciate you coming on. appreciate the book. Uh, I always get really stoked when people put out literature that's going to uh, red pill people on on any liberty issue. And, and the, the Second Amendment is up there for me. Obviously, uh, you know, I, I've been very vocal about the fact that I think without it, in six months we would be Australia. There's no doubt about it uh, in my head whatsoever. Yeah. Um, I think that's where we're headed anyways. So you guys better get ready <laughs> to uh, stand up and say no. Um, but man, why don't, you, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about your journey uh, to liberty and, and specifically, I mean, the, you know, the second amendment to hyper focus on that stuff. How'd you get here? Sure. Um, geez, it was 2000, man, 2009, I suppose. Actually, well, it might've been earlier than that. I suppose when I really became a part of the liberty movement or just, the uh, in terms of just thinking that way, yeah, it was my early, uh, twenties, I would say. And really the book that changed my life was Mark Levin's liberty and tyranny, um, I know you guys are, I think typically are more libertarian, which, uh, you know, I guess I actually, at some point I want to ask you how we really define that. Cause it seems that it's, it, it's changed over time for what I remember it being, but we'll get to that. But anyway, I read that book, Liberty and Tyranny, it changed my life forever. I think I had it in my car on the audiobook for about a year straight. And it just, it blew my mind. It gave me this burning passion for the constitution, the bill of rights, the founding fathers, the founding generation. And from then on, I just started kind of doing my own research here and there. Um, and then over the next 10 years, I kind of got kind of tired of it. I said, man, I really want to get like to the next level. You know, I want to be someone that knows this stuff for themselves and isn't always kind of like asking or, you know, so I, I did what I don't think a lot of people have done. I started reading every single Federalist paper, all the anti-Federalist papers I possibly could, writing detailed notes about them, kind of translating them almost because that stuff is really hard to read. Um, to the point where sometimes it's not even enjoyable, but you got to go through it. You got to see what the arguments are because these are apparently the greatest arguments for liberty to exist. And they explain the constitution. It's almost like an instruction manual. So I went through that, not really intending to do anything with it, just for my own knowledge. And what you find is you find these beautiful gems about the second amendment in there. And the second amendment was always, you know, I think for everyone, the, the most important amendment, because it's the one that obviously protects everything else. So I started finding these things there, and I just started saving them. I don't know why. I just started kind of saving and putting them off to the side. And it just got to the point. I, I just said, you know what? I need to put this in a book. I need to get it out there. People need to know this stuff because it's lost history, and it's your history, America. It's yours. It belongs to you. The Bill of Rights belongs to you. You need to know this stuff. And so that's basically what the book is all about. Yeah, absolutely. And it's 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 crazy. So, like, a lot of people are constantly trying to interpret the Second Amendment. I mean, that's a that's a constant thing. Uh, you know, we're constantly looking to the courts to interpret it for us, uh, yeah. which is insane because, you know, you have these papers that are not the Constitution that explain exactly why uh, or what this, this amendment means uh, to, to the American public. And it tells you what they were thinking when they made this amendment. Can you explain that for us? Sure. So keep in mind, too, that the, the Federalist Papers were written before the actual Bill of Rights was um, 
was drafted and ratified. But what's interesting about it is that they do use this language, this term, well-regulated militia. And you'll find it not only there, but you'll find it in the uh, in the ratification debates as well. And probably the most definitive thing you could find is there's a there's a famous Federalist paper, Federalist 29, where Alexander Hamilton, it's actually cited by the statist as this, uh, you know, one quote taken out of context where he's like, you know, the, the, the militia, the, it must be regulated by the government. It must be, you know, in control of the government. And of course, it's totally taken out of context. And he goes on to actually explain exactly what a well-regulated, or the character of what a well-regulated militia is. And it's everything that liberty people instinctively know. It's just regular citizens uh, capable of bearing arms for, their, for the state and for themselves and, and so on and so forth. This isn't new to people like us, but that it is new to people who might think otherwise. Who thought, oh, they, you know, they were trying to create this other world, this kind of, this, you know, a uh, utopia, a status utopia. Um, you know, really, and it's funny you, you, you talked about the beginning of the book, really, uh, just, you know, talking about constitutional interpretations right. and how do we interpret it, or how do we interpret this document? And that's basically the first chapter of the book, because you have to know how to read this stuff, otherwise you come out with the wrong conclusions about it. Um, I get told a lot that the book is very quote heavy and I want it that way. Cause I don't want you listening to what I have to say about it. That's irrelevant. What matters is what the, what the founders thought, what the people who actually wrote this thing said. Yeah, sure. You um, even, you even start your dedication uh, with George Mason. Yes. Yeah, yeah. George Mason. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He's by far, I think the most important founding father, you know, they say, uh, I guess if I, if I had to say it, George Mason is the founder of Liberty in America, you know, George Washington, he's the father of the union, uh, Madison, you could say, is the father of the Constitution. Uh, Patrick Henry, the father of independence. Sam Adams, the father of revolution. But no doubt in my mind, uh, Mason was the, the father of liberty when you really look at what happened during the drafting period and the ratification period and the fact that we even have the Bill of Rights. You know, if it wasn't for Mason really starting the, the anti-federalist movement at the Philadelphia Convention, we, you know, who knows what would have happened. Sure, sure, absolutely. And and so, you know, for people who don't understand that, so the only other person I've ever had on the on the show that really kind of got into anti-federalist stuff a little bit was, was Shane Hazel. He's really, he's pretty versed on that stuff. But can you explain what that that is, what those papers are, what they mean uh, to, to us as, as a The anti-federalist papers? Yeah. Sure. So basically this was after the, the, the drafting of the Constitution itself. It was uh, spread around the colonies, um, and they really wanted to push. The Federalists were the people obviously arguing for it. Anti-Federalists were actually against it. Now, the names are actually switched. You know, really, the uh, the Anti-Federalists were the actual Federalists, and the, the Federalists themselves were, you know, mm, I guess a, a good way to look at it, it would be to say they're like federal unionists, and the Anti-Federalists were actually the federal Republicans, I would call them. In fact, later on, that's what they called themselves after... Um, really after the Constitution was ratified. But in any case, uh, Federalist Papers were arguments for the Constitution. Anti-Federalist Papers were against them. Um, what's unique about the Anti-Federalist Papers is that they're not as prominent as the Federalist Papers um, for several reasons, because it was uh, they were kind of found in different papers, you know, local papers throughout this, uh, the colonies. Um, and, you know, ultimately they lost the battle. So we don't really, you know, well, I should say the debate. The victor always um, writes the history, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 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 a shame to say that, though, because they didn't technically win. It was ultimately a compromise because you still had a lot of concessions at the Philadelphia Convention. I mean, sure. if, if anti-federalists weren't there, we would just have the Virginia plan, which would have been a total disaster. I mean, we give Madison like I used to love James Madison, but and I still do to an extent. I don't want to crap on him too hard. But when you really look at what he was proposing, what he wanted, I mean, any of his reasons for it, given his experience with the continental, the continental Congress, um, and how it just didn't have enough power to do things and, you know, could have very likely lost the Revolutionary War because of the deficiencies in the, the art. Well, I guess it was Articles of Union at the time. Um, but the, the Anti-Federalists had better arguments, I think, at the end of the day, which is, you know, why I revere them more than even the Federalist Papers today. Federalist Papers were great. They had great theories. And, you know, to the extent that Madison explains the, the constitutional theory, such as, uh, uh, not needing a bill of rights because, you know, if, as soon as you write stuff down, words can be manipulated. A better way to secure all the rights is to just say, listen, government, you are limited to Article 1, Section 8. You can't go beyond that. The end of story. Like, so any other conceivable right that you could think of, we have that right. As soon as you write them down, all sorts of problems uh, come with that. And we see that today with this amendment in particular, well-regulated militia. I mean, it's in, in every other amendment, there's problems with, with just how we define the terms, or really how the state has defined the terms. Um, 
But at the same time, as much as a great idea that Madison had, it's just not practical. It's just, you, you can't, it's, it's an idea that's not going to withstand scrutiny. And by scrutiny, I mean people, you know, statism. It's not going to survive that test. When people get into power, there's no check against that. You're just assuming, and actually this is, I'll say this, this is the, my one number one critique about the Federalist Papers and really about the Federalists and James Madison, these guys, is that they didn't have enough checks and balances in the system. They really, when you read it, their main uh, court, or their main things of recourse for government usurpations was voting and the virtue of the people. And I'm like, that's it? I, like, I thought there would be totally more than that. Like, what, what is this? And the Anti-Federalists were brilliant at pointing these deficiencies out and saying, listen, you're relying on voting, which we know can be corrupted, and we've seen that manifest. Uh, and for the virtue of the people? Are you kidding me? Like, have you, for people so well-versed in history, where have you seen these these virtuous people that start virtuous? And maybe, who knows? Maybe, be, maybe back then they were all virtuous, although Anti-Federalists were arguing otherwise. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, where are you finding these virtuous people that are virtuous now and then virtuous forever? I mean, that, that basically was their argument is that, oh, there's no way we could be corrupted. Our progeny is going to pass down liberty because everyone sees how rare liberty is and it's so great. And it's like, no, that's not realistic. But it, it appealed to the people at the time who were, for the most part, virtuous. Every, I mean, even in the debates, the, the great gentlemen, the honorable gentlemen, this and that, you know, these guys did have respect among each other. And so if you're going to say, listen, who among us is going to dissolve the militia or disarm the people? No one. No one's going to do that here because they all were on the same page. But they didn't think that they didn't think beyond themselves. And that was the big problem. Well, and all these people. Uh, so all these people kind of spread out from from uh, the, the fight to get out from underneath English rule. Mm-hmm. You know, and so yeah. so it's like so it's like we you know these people knew what tyranny was firsthand, and of course they're mm-hmm. going to say we'll never live under that again, we'll never do that again, <laughs> right? And here we are, two hundred yeah. and something years later, and th- those people are definitely rolling in their graves right now. Oh 100%. yeah, I mean, even 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 Alexander Hamilton, he would say that the, the English government was the best government out there. It wasn't that the government was bad per se; it was that the there was the wrong people in there. And of course, this goes back to their argument: we're more virtuous than the English rulers, essentially. And there were, I mean, there were people that were arguing that you you still needed a king, not this president that was voted in, and everything. That's that's crazy. Madison, I mean, he he thought he was compromising when he said that. In the Virginia plan, oh, we'll have the legislature. They'll nominate the president. And it's like, can you think of uh, it's just it's mind blowing that like this is the guy who we're going to say, oh, he's the king of liberty. But like without George Mason and the other anti-federalists coming in there and saying, no, we're scrapping this. We're scrapping. I mean, the worst one was uh, can you imagine a federal uh, power to just nullify state laws that they don't like? Yeah, that'd be wild. That's that's in the Virginia plan. And thank God they got that out of there. Well, we've been it's funny because we've been talking about monarchism a lot on the show lately because I, <laughs> I, I made I made the comment on uh, on uh, I'm not a big fan of democracy anymore. Uh, I you shouldn't be. I, it's, I, it's, yeah. the, it's the best form of tyranny. Yeah, exactly. And so so we were talking about like how it would likely be better for us if we were living under a benevolent, a benevolent monarchist, <laughs> because you can always kill the king. Right. Yeah. But but, uh, you know, it's it's but will you? Yeah, exactly. But do you do you, I mean, do you do you think they they had any idea what democracy would devolve into someday? I mean, you know what I mean? It's just so it's become this like essentially this hammer that people beat us over the head with. Well, we're the yeah. majority, so you got to go along with it, you know? And, yeah. And, uh, there's a, there's a lot to say about yeah, that. Yeah. And if you don't like well, go it, ahead. go off to Somalia, you know, see you later. You know, it's like, uh, do you guys know what's going on in Somalia? It's not, yeah. not really anarchy. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Let, let's clarify something right now, because I am, I, this infuriates me more than anything is that we are so ill, ill educated that people don't know the difference between democracy and republicanism anymore. Democracy is literally like the people vote, like the citizens, individuals vote, individual citizens vote on everything. If we were a democracy, a pure democracy, then, I mean, everything, like there would be, just we'd be voting on everything. Every conceivable issue we'd be voting on. We are not a democracy. And uh, what's really funny, I have a funny story. I was arguing with someone about this and they're saying, oh, no, we're a democracy. We're not a republic. You're stupid. You don't know what we're talking about. I go to page one of a textbook that I have, a his- U.S. history textbook, essentially. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it cites uh, Benjamin Franklin coming out of the convention. And they're like, oh, what do you have for us, a monarchy or this or that? And he says, a republic, if you can keep it. 
Right, right. The guy says to me then, he goes, wow, bro, you really need to get beyond page one. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking to myself, no, no, you have to get to page one. <laughs> it's, like, it's wild to me. Yeah, so, that's that's so, wild. You're like, oh, dude, I wrote a book on an amendment. Like, I, fucking, I know more than you. What's going on here? <laughs> but, but it's just it's it's just funny because we are so you know we're a nice mix of both. We're a representative republic officially, all constitutional republic, however you want to put it. Sure. We use elements of democracy in in how we elect our officials, but we use representative government because we send a rep, republican government. Let's define what that is. It's we send a representative to vote on our behalf. Right. And that's that's exactly what we have. So we're a representative republic, but we use elements of democracy in our republic, but we're still a republic. So and and so, you know, you've said uh you you know, people use democracy as oh, we're the majority. The one thing the founders did understand is that, and you see this with like the Bill of Rights to an extent. I mean, they, they could have done a better job with it, but the the idea is that liberty is is not up for debate. Like your second amendment rights are not up for debate. They're not up for a vote. If you want to change them, you have to go through the article five process because the founders, especially the federalist number 10, very clear about this, uh, this thing about factions and how the, you know, it's populism, it's, it's democracy. It's these groups that can, the the passions swirl and, you know, you, you end up with things like uh, democratic socialism and Marxism. I mean, I, I got in a lot of trouble one time for saying that the, the founding father, well, at least, I think it was it was Madison for number ten. Uh, he 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 basically predicted what Marxism would be. He talks about how nothing divides people like property and like having property and not having property, um, and then taking those things and dividing people into classes. I mean, he was he was talking about more than just Marxism, but he was talking about all, all these different factions and things that rile people together for a temporary time, where they then they they go into power and they destroy liberty. Liberty is this is is an understanding that. People have, I guess, no, how's a better way to say this? The American idea of liberty is freedom from coercion. And too many people forget that. They think it's a freedom to, to something, to stuff, to a state of being, to an emotional state, to a, a state of safety, uh, something tied to the public good, general welfare, um, the common good, whatever you want to call it. But that's not at all what American liberty was ever intended to be it is ever never defined like that ever it was never conceived like that sure yeah absolutely so so man tell me about the book what made okay. you write what made you write this book i want to know your your thought process <laughs> why you were like you know obviously it's very it's very important that we uh we protect our second amendment now i've taken a, i've you know sometimes in my life taken a very lysander spooner approach to the uh to, to the constitution um yes. you know i, I i've looked at it as a, a piece of paper that has uh, authorized what we have today, uh, mm-hmm. although I know that it's trampled on all the time, uh, it hasn't protected us the way that I thought it would. But you hyper focused on this, wrote a great book yes. about it. Why did you write this book? What does it mean to you? Uh, and and how did you get there? Well, essentially, I mean, yep, kind of got there just by reading, like we kind of talked about. But let's talk about the takeaways. Um, kind of talked about several of them, but. Uh, the, vo- the book really focuses on this argument about the well-regulated militia. Um, we're, we hear about this all the time from all kinds of statists and people just don't know anything. But we also hear it from Supreme Court justices and professors and constitutional lawyers and scholars and this kinds of thing. And it's it, it's just so sad. And, you know, in the very beginning of the book, I quote a dissenting opinion from Justice uh, Stevens. He, it's from the uh, the Heller dissent which actually is, I think, more important than the actual majority decision, because it tells you exactly where they want to bring us. It tells you exactly what they think of the Second Amendment. And we go over it in detail in the book. I kind of go through some of the more notable clauses and then compare it to what we go through in the, in the content of the book. Um, but it centers around this well-regulated, well-regulated militia argument. And I kind of break it up into two arguments. One is this idea of well-regulated, that this word well-regulated is this grant of power to government um, to do basically whatever it wants with weapons in any capacity, no matter what. And the second argument being that well-regulated, well, militia, well-regulated militia. And this is supposed to mean, oh, well, if you're not in a militia and they really mean military or national guard or something, or, you know, even a police force, if you're not in one of those units or one of those uh, groups, then guess what? You don't have any rights to this. And I just take a step back. And, you know, for most people who are liberty minded, they just look at that and they just go, huh, we have this an article within a charter of rights to people. And 
this, this guy is trying to tell me that it's actually a grant of power to government. So it, like, it fails the, the automatic common sense test right off the bat. But let's dive into it anyway. Well-regulated. What could the, so we all know that it's, it's all bullshit. We already know what it means. But let's play the game a little bit. Well-regulated. What could it possibly mean? You know, we have the, the, the definition in Federalist Paper 29. Um, but we also can look at it in the context of the Constitution itself. I mean, what, if you're going to say the government, the federal government has the power to do something, you might as well go to Article 1, Section 8, which define the, the powers of the federal government. You find that there are two militia clauses, Clause 15 and Clause 16. And if well-regulated means anything at all, it has to be within those two clauses. What you find is that Clause 15 it just gives you the three reasons why they can be called out into the uh, – why, why – the Congress can call out the militia in the first place. Clause 16 provides for organizing, arming, and uh, displaying the militia. And so interesting is that when you really look at it, the federal government has an obligation to arm the militia, not disarm anything. Like disarming is not in, in, in any of the words. I mean, just, it's just not there. Are you, are you, Although, I'm you sorry, know, are you saying, of, are you saying that uh, our, uh, 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 free arms is a, is a, is a right granted by the constitution? <laughs> I, I'm saying that they have a, if they're going to call you into service and who knows, I mean, if you're on standby, let's say, and they could call you into service and let's keep in mind, this isn't just back in 1776. If you look at the militia laws today, 10 us code 246, you and I are the militia. We are a part of the, what's called the unorganized militia True. because now they have this national guard, which is a part of the militia, but there's also another section the unorganized militia. And that's, that's you and me, man. That's you and me. That's every able-bodied male, I think 16 or 18 to 45. Oh, and women who are in the national guard too. <laughs> yeah. But, but wait, but, but wait, so, so tell me this, you're, listen, when the, when this stuff was written, it was, it was cannonballs and, 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 you know, muzzle loaders. What, you know, how does that approve of all these, you know, heavy arms and, and, and fully automatic weapons and all this stuff, man? Are you telling me that, that it, it's okay for us to have that stuff too? Yo, I, I would go way beyond that. I would say that if the government can have it, I can have it. And what's, what is the justification uh, against that? I mean, are you going to say that, civil, that citizens are more trustworthy than government? That's interesting because when you look at the 20th century, I see a lot of atrocities being committed by governments, and I see citizens being the victims of that. I mean, <laughs> you know who loves gun control? We see it right now with the Taliban. I mean, what's the first thing these guys do when they get into power? Get control of the guns, True. obviously. Um, but going back to more of the, his the historical part of the question, let's not forget. I mean, they, they think that, oh, old back then you had uh, muskets and pist single-shot pistols. and No, you had, I mean, I feel like this is, you say this all the time, but the puckle gun, pepper box revolver, the, the belt and flintlock. I mean, we had all these, I mean, fully automatic, semi-automatic weapons at the time, multiple weapons that could fire multiple rounds. You didn't have to just reload like these muskets. Um, and also I would note the word arms, the word arms is not limited to muskets and what's at the time. It's, it's arms, it's firearms, it's weapons, really. It's any conceivable weapon. I mean, these men knew that times were going to change. They weren't like idiots and just thought like, oh, we're only going to limit just to muskets just because that's what we had at the time. And of course, I mean, there are other arguments like, you know, for free speech. Oh, they didn't have internet. And so, oh, the first round doesn't apply. It's all bull crap. No one believes it. It's a stupid argument. Sure. I, but I feel like I feel like at some point the left is going to get so beat down on this conversation that they're going to be like, listen, they were talking about like human arms. That's all you guys can have. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's it. It yeah. says arms. So it's arms. You know, I mean, they, these people make the yeah. most ridiculous arguments and you can see that coming. You know what I mean? I mean, what else are they going to they have to argue with somebody like you who uh, has all his bases covered? I mean, where else are they going to? go right um well where they always go is the courts you know and i right. always say this all you have to do and this is actually the one thing if you're at a party or something and someone starts talking about this trash about the second amendment being not about what it is just go up to them and just say oh man that's that's really interesting um yeah i, I was reading that record too and uh you know read some books on whatever can, can you just like name me one federalist or anti-federalist that uh, that argued for this that argued for gun control argued that people were you know the, the, this great fear of citizens having guns and how it was so terrible like can you just name one one person from the historical record from that time period and they can't do it it doesn't exist i'm i'm still going through the record now i'm I'm almost finished with it that is the the ratification history i can't find it i can't find it 
I'm looking too. I'm not just, I'm not BSing it. I'm literally trying to find it. Well, and these are people that were on the opposite sides of things too. And neither one of them were arguing in favor of that. Oh yeah. And you know, this is the, the other myth is that, oh, you have uh, the Federalists who were, you know, Federalists, stronger government, like Democrats and uh, anti-Federalists, smaller government, you know, Republicans, nothing could be further from the truth. These guys were essentially like constitutional conservatives and libertarians to an extent like it's like we all agreed on this common understanding of liberty and our arguments were around what is the best system that uh that that salvages this that preserves this for us in the next generation it's like it's it's weird to think about it because like you we always think of uh nations and countries being like two really divided parties like we see today but it wasn't like that back then they were very uh uh they're on the same page essentially now this is excluding of course some of the loyalists and some of the other people that didn't participate at all right but among the politically active people they were very uh consolidated in how they thought about this sure well and you so you bring up the courts and people put a lot of faith in the supreme court especially <sighs> they, they love to talk about the supreme court they love to talk about the interpretations of the constitution by the supreme court it's a it's a huge uh uh business in this country when mm-hmm. it comes to discourse and politics um, I mean, really, do they have, you know, I'm not a lawyer by any means, I mean, you know, Me I, um, but, um, and, and, and I'm not as versed in uh, constitutional law as you probably are, you know, even with you not being a, law, a lawyer, but um, I mean, do they really have this, this power granted to them to, to, uh, you know, interpret these, these amendments the way they do? Well, the answer is yes and no. Uh, yes, they, well, no, they don't have the power, first of all, but yes, they exercise it. And as a result of that, we live under really their their rule of what it is, their world, this kind of fake, uh, illegitimate, unconstitutional, unlawful constitutional system that they just create arbitrarily. Um, remember, this comes from, we all know this, judicial review. We're all taught this. And I'll never forget when I was taught it, you know, we're sitting there in class and it's like, yeah, so, you know, here's article one, article two, article three, you know, they're not not long claw or not long articles, no problem. You go, oh, but then the court created this thing called ju- judicial review where they just decided what the constitution was. And I remember sitting there just, and asking the teacher being like, so they can just give themselves power and like, that's, that's cool. And he was like, yeah, basically because no one did anything about it. They just let it happen. I mean, even like, even Jefferson later in life talked about it and he goes, I can't believe like people put so much faith in these stupid court decisions and judicial review, but at the same time, no one did anything about it. Um, so as a result of that, you have John Marshall, Marbury versus Madison, they created judicial, judicial review. And really what's interesting, I didn't know this guy, I just was reading about him uh, recently. John Marshall, I would say, is the very first statist America ever had. You know, we like to think that, oh, you know, judicial review, and that's all I knew him for, that decision. But he went on to make a lot more decisions that had a lot more, well, that set precedent for a lot more things to come. Um, and... It, you know, so we create this two-tiered system where one, we have the actual the actual constitution that was basically agreed upon, um, drafted drafters, ratifiers. You know, there was a, it, the constitution's like a contract, and the parties in here debated it. We have the record of what they thought about it, what it meant, what it doesn't mean, um, all kinds of things that, that give you original context. We call this originalism. And so that to me is that this is the real constitution up here. The court constitution is basically whatever some idiot on the court says it is. It could be right. It could be wrong. But the idea, and especially if you talk to lawyers about this, they'll tell you, oh, it doesn't matter. Whatever they say that that's it. Like on end of story. It's just how the system works. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Are you sick to death of pussyfooting around the truth while being constantly fed lies by news and big tech tyrants? If so, then come join me, Dan Smots, on The System Is Down, where we get weird, have fun, and dig into all the dangerous taboo topics like conspiracies, politics, religion, culture, current events, and everything your family just prays you don't bring up around the Thanksgiving dinner table. And I know that reality is scary to some people, so if you're easily offended, just ignore this and go back to making cat memes or whatever. But if you're ready to change the world for the better, come join me on The System Is down at tsidpod.com or wherever you get podcasts that's tsidpod.com because the system is down and truth is taking over and And both parties know that that's why they want to pack the court i mean that's you know what i mean yes oh yeah oh yeah and that's it's it's really it's not even a court anymore it's really a judicial oligarchy where it's just this old like and 
and the history behind it is is really interesting too because we look at judicial review like oh uh, they have this this power i mean essentially what it is it's a veto against i mean anything it used to be just legislative acts but now they can tell a president they can they can nullify a, a president's executive order they can make a state do whatever it wants they can i mean it's it's almost boundless they can define powers for themselves they can compel people to do whatever they want and and all branches of government all people just go along with it and what's interesting is that in during the constitutional convention they actually considered giving the the judicial branch a veto in, over legislation and they shot it down and actually i think it was madison that also wanted that too um but they shot it down because it's like no 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 like that'd be ridiculous um for obvious reasons it's a court and you want the court to be objective sure. um and i mean that's i mean really if if we really get into it, I think the best way to sum up the court is the Constitution's greatest flaw. It was the branch that they discussed the least. It, it, it clearly there was no thinking behind it. Like even when you read the the Federalist Papers on this, I think it's seventy eight through eighty three. Hamilton talks about he's like, listen, of course every unconstitutional law is has is void of any power. Like it is not enforceable. It's holy crap. At the same time, courts aren't given that power to do that, even though you want them to do that. Like, I would say an unconstitutional act should be thrown out as unconstitutional, not enforced. But who has that power? If you give it to, if you give it to courts, now all of a sudden you're giving courts that power to interpret the Constitution. Like, there's no getting around this. And so it, it's just, it's one of those things that they overlooked, and I think they're greatest overlooking. And, and I know you said earlier in the beginning of this that, you know, you're – you're a Lysander Spruner guy. And believe mm. me, you know, it's funny. Uh, a couple of years ago, man, I, I would have defended the Constitution like crazy and this and that. But because I read the Anti-Federalist Papers, and I, I pretty much identify as an Anti-Federalist at this point. We're like, I see the value of the Constitution. I get all the Federalist arguments. I see its value in liberty and everything. But I'm not blind to to like, look at look what's around us. Like, you can't deny that something has gone wrong. And whether it's the people, whether it's the Constitution itself, I mean, I think it's, it happens to be a little bit of both mostly people, but I mean, there's no denying that it didn't, that it's not working. I mean, it's the idea that the constitution was going to work is just as utopic as, uh, communism or anarchism. It's just, these things are not going to work because people don't work like this. We don't, we don't create things that are perfect that are just going to work because we want them to. Sure. But we always think at the time that it's going to happen. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of that, uh, you know, it it could go to like a time preference argument for sure. But so, so it's, it, it, it's really funny. Actually, let me, uh, let me address some of these super chats. We got two super chats from Ryan Bedford. Thanks, man. He said, great guest. Uh, great show as always. Thanks brother. I appreciate it. Drywall. Thanks for the $20 super chat, man. I really appreciate you. But I saw one, uh, from Ryan Bedford. Yeah. He said, Stephen Daniel, are you a David Barton fan? Yeah, I like some of his stuff. Yeah, yeah. he did a great series. Um, on, actually, I have one of his books actually right up there. Uh, <laughs> let me see, what is it? Oh, it's the it's history. What the what is it called? American history in black and white, and it kind of goes over um, the lost history, history of political Black America, which I thought was pretty cool. He's got a whole YouTube series on it. Um, he actually wrote a book on the Second Amendment as well. Um, I skimmed through it, and it looked pretty good to me. Um, and I said, and that's also, that's another reason why I wrote the book is because when I was going through the, the other books that were out there, I wasn't seeing what I wanted to see. Like a lot of it was like people talking and like that annoying thing where people, they'll write their own paragraph and then like insert like quotes from the founding fathers in their own paragraph. And then you're like, okay, who said that? Where's the quote from? You know, I, I'm a history guy. Like I want to know where it came from, who said it and no one provides that. This book is not like that. This book, I tell you as best I can, wherever for everything I find. Well, no, I tell you where everything is. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you're it, you definitely let everybody know what's going on in this book, man. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you want to if you want to double check me, if you want to fact check me, if you want to read the stuff for yourself, don't take my word for it. Go read the stuff for yourself. It's all in there. It's all cited for you. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 really thorough, man. Like if if you guys you guys definitely need to check out the book. You can buy it on Amazon. It's on Amazon. Yes. You guys should go yes. just go buy the book. I think it was like I think I got it for like nine bucks or something. It wasn't it wasn't super expensive. Something either. like that. Or do the Kindle. I mean, the Kindle is uh, I have the, both. Uh, the ebook. I have both. I have the Kindle I, version. I, I, and, I like the and Kindle. The, you can search. It's it's seen. It's nicer to yeah. be able to search key keywords and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like it's not like trying to read um, uh, Human Action by Mises. It's not you know seven thousand pages. <laughs> it's, it's not like as long as the Bible. It's pretty well. How many pages was there here? Let's see, one hundred and sixty nine. I mean, you can make it through it pretty quick. I I uh, I tried. 
I gave it. I gave it a go. <laughs> I had seven kids, dude. I, I got pretty far. I got far enough to have a good conversation, and then uh, I read a lot of it at the, on on the Kindle version on my phone at work because I work twelve hours and I have time to read while I'm at work. But uh, um, let's see. Uh, Ron DeSantis idolizes James Madison in his book. Pretty sure he named his daughter after him. Huh. I mean, James Madison's not a bad dude. Like he was a real, he was a good dude. Some anti-federalists thought that he had other motives, but I happen to think that he was, he was very genuine. I thought, and you can see that even, you know, I, I read a, a biography on him, uh, Lynn Cheney's not Liz Cheney, Lynn Cheney. I don't know if they're related or not, but it was, it was a good, it was a good biography. Um, I get the sense he was, he was pretty genuine, but at the same time, like he was, yeah, he's a man, he's an imperfect human being. He made mistakes. He was overconfident. And what's what's interesting is I, I recall him debating with George Mason at the convention. And one of the things I just, I, I remember Mason talking about, he just said, you know, I'm, I'm older than you guys. Uh, I can't remember how, how much older he was at the time, but he was older. Madison and Jefferson, these guys were much younger. And uh, he just was like, I just have a different view on like human nature than you guys. And I don't think you've been around to see like just, you just you don't have the experience yet. Like you, Madison was very intelligent. He read so he almost killed himself from reading when he was in. I think it was law school at the time, um, and he had he had all kinds of you know uh, problems with his epilepsy, or as they think it was ep- epilepsy anyway. Um, but he literally almost read himself to death. <laughs> so like how do, how the guy do you was do very, that. He, he, he I think he literally just stayed up reading for like. Date, like three days straight or something oh, like that my goodness. he just he only he just he read so much that like he would just pass out and just like i mean the guy was super smart he knew just as i think just as much as george mason did but just didn't have that like that grit that comes from experience and like that just that knowledge of like dude you can't just do this like you just you just don't know people yet like you'll you'll get there and the thing is he did get there after you know after the first uh two administrations you have george washington and really you know, going back to the failures of the Constitution, as a as a former constitutionalist, to you know, to some degree, uh, look, George Washington's administration, you had the, the the National Bank, totally unconstitutional, a whole Hamiltonian thing, whatever it happened. Next administration, Adams administration, both Federalists now at this point. You have the Alien Sedition Acts. You have the you know the whole debacle with the courts when they were on their way out, trying to pack the courts essentially. Right. Um, so it's like the constitution failed from the very beginning, from the very start. A couple of years later, you have 1803, you have, uh, uh, versus Madison. Like it failed from the very beginning. Madison saw this and guess what he does with Jefferson. They start this secessionist, uh, nullification movement, which we need to bring some of those principles back. In fact, Agreed. It's, as for me being a libertarian, if I don't know if you can see it, I have Tom Woods nullification right there. You, can't, you cannot <laughs> go wrong with that book. And you should also follow the 10th amendment center and Michael Bolden. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Uh, let, let me let me tell you. I you know I just like I said. I've been a Mark Levin guy. I'm sure like a lot of your followers, like oh god, Mark Levin, horrible. Oh god, like his Israel stuff and all stuff. That man taught me everything I know about liberty. I that I owe that man so much. But I like this. This is a stepping stone. I'm starting to read Lysander Spooner. I'm going through the Mises stuff now. I found the website. It has all the books for free. Like why wouldn't you look at that stuff? And to be honest, even Levin in his latest book, uh, American Marxism, he's, he's like, yo, check out Rothbard, check out like the Mises, like check all the stuff out too. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's happening. Good. And, what I, and, and I just hope that that like little things like that are an indication that some kind of unity is going to come because we need this more than ever. Like I'm so tired of living in a world where we, where there's, there's just no unity. Like, and it's intrinsic because we're we're liberty-minded people. We're individual in our nature, and it's tough to like get together. But like, I just see so often it's like, oh, you're liberty-minded, I'm liberty-minded. Oh, you want open borders, and I don't. Okay, we cannot. That's it. Like done. Cannot associate. Doesn't work. And I'm just like, listen, I don't care if we have like a couple things we don't agree on. What we both can agree on is communism bad, socialism bad. All this stuff we're seeing now, trans kids, the more we argue, the more we stay out of political power because of our arguments, True. the more we see this just st- this diabolical, biblical level evil coming at us. Well, it's it's funny because I talk about I talk about the uh, 
in the libertarian movement, not so much the Republicans or the, the Liberty Republicans, because they actually are in some positions to affect change uh, at a national level and, a, and a, a state level. Libertarians have not been uh, for the most part. And uh, in fact, we, you know, we just finally got some state legislators elected in Wyoming, uh, first time since the 70s. Um, but in the Libertarian Party and the broader libertarian movement, we're always fighting about borders and, and abortion. <laughs> Right. And it's like, do you guys don't understand how much these are just wedge issues presented to you to keep you separated. So we never unify and do anything uh, on any kind of level that threatens the establishment in this country. And, And we have no power whatsoever to affect change over either one of those issues. Ever. Well, let, me, well, let me put it this way, too. I mean, I, I, I feel your pain because although I guess I'm a registered Republican, um, the Republican Party is I mean, this is why I think Ben Shapiro is right when he says we have to define your terms, which is so important because I know we don't like labels. I like labels because it lets me know if uh, if I say I'm a constitutional conservative, you know, I'm not a John McCain Republican. You know, I'm not a wins like it, it like it, it, you know, very. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, like, I think terms are very helpful when they apply. Like, if you're going to have exceptions, then okay, just note the exception, but whatever. Um, it's funny, because the, the, the constitutional conservative position is, at least on abortion, is, listen, it's not in the Constitution, state issue. And then the state has to follow their state constitution. And if it's not in there, then you either have to amend the constitutions or, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, you know, mechanical process. So it's interesting that's even a, a, an issue. Like, I mean, personally, I'm I'm pro-life, but like, if, if I'm in a state where the people decide that, yeah, that sucks, but like, that's how the system works. Like that's the constitutional system. Um, as far as borders, borders is a little tougher because that is a congressional thing. That's True. a congressional power. Um, and you know, I, I don't, I don't know if we want to get into that, but I, I just, you know, it's, it's whatever Congress says there's a, it is. There's a few con- congressional powers that, uh, you know, the con- Congress doesn't really do much about these days. I don't know if you've noticed, but <laughs> there's been a, quite a few wars that have no con- congressional oh, oh, approval. Let me, let, me, let me tell you, that's another big shift I have. You could say this is probably the most libertarian I am, is that uh, in, in liberty and tyranny, I just actually was reading it the other day to in preparation for this, is that in his last chapter on, on self-preservation, he talks about how he's a big, uh, you could say a hawk, I guess, right? Is that what they call them, the hawks? He likes a big military. He likes keeping America safe. He likes putting the pressure on people in other nations and this and that. I'm over that. I'm over that. I, I, I was probably for that back in the day, but I'm kind of over it now. I'm just God, like, God bless you, buddy. I, 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 I see it. I see it now. That's, I see it. That's I just, good. It take you know, it not, it takes, it takes people. <laughs> listen, I joined the military right after nine 11. I went to the Gulf. And and by the time I got home, I was done with all that shit. I was like, "That's it, I'm mm-hmm. done." Then I found Ron Paul in 2007, <laughs> and it was even further. Like it just kept. It's like I had this. I kept thinking I was going to stop, and I just kept going further. I mean, it was like until I was all the way out the window, halfway down the block, <laughs> you know. And I'm going, okay. Uh, now I'm reading. You know, now I'm reading Rothbard, and there's no going back. I mean, there's no turning back. Once you put, once you put some Rothbard books in your hands, and you already have these these ideas of liberty and freedom in your brain, it's very, very hard to shut that window, dude. Like, cause, cause you understand like how we, especially for a history guy like you, who, I mean, understands all the history behind everything that's happened in this country since the, 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 you know, the, the, the initial uh, framing of what we, we mm-hmm. are supposed to have. It's very hard to read somebody like Rothbard or, or even Mises, you know, if you get into the real hardcore economist stuff someday. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. Listen, I've read I've, I've had to go through human action at least three times now. It's a big book. Um, but so and I'm not very smart. I'm not. That's why I have smart people on the show. Me, me neither, dude. Lies. Lies, dude. Lies. Just a guy who read stuff. That's it. Listen, I've sat here listening to you on this podcast going, how many fucking podcasts have you been on? Like three, two, three, four? Mm. Yeah, just no, just just two. This is my Dude, second one. This is absolute bullshit. Listen, Dave Smith, Michael Malice, all you guys, if you're watching, have Stephen Daniels on. He's amazing, uh, and he we got the same middle name. But Daniel, let me, unless that's your last oh, that's name. Amazing, yes, yeah. yes. Um, you know what's also interesting? You know, on that note, real quick, I will note this: is that when I came out with the book, I was excited to get it out there. I thought it would be something people would be really excited about because it is it is unique. It is different from what else is out there, and I feel like I. You know, and I don't want to pat myself on the back on it, but I feel like I can actually talk about it in a way that makes sense to people and that like connects with people. Um, and I reached out to a lot of people who are in all different levels of the liberty movement in in, in institutions and in businesses that you know and some that you don't know. And it is amazing how much people just are like, 
just not willing to help others get, I mean, get anywhere. They just, it's all about themselves or they just don't even like, don't even respond to you at all. Like people who are like, Oh, I'm huge on the second amendment. Email me with anything that's cool and like newsworthy, nothing crickets. And it's, it's really a shame, but it's, you know, I understand it's a part of the nature. It's part of our human nature as, as individualists and liberty minded people. It's like, you know, whatever. It's all about me or whatever, whatever it is. I don't know. I shouldn't, I shouldn't start speculating. I didn't do whatever that. it is. I, I just, know you, I just wanted to you, be known. <laughs> you reached out to me right away. And yeah. I was like, Oh wow. Like, and remember I probably messaged you were probably one of like a hundred, like one of a hundred that actually messaged me back. Like it's probably the ratio that I got. And it's like, it, it's been pretty hard, but it doesn't matter. I, I've made some, uh, you know, like you, I've kind of inspired with guys like you, who, who, you know, you have families and you do a ton of, you, you do the work, you've done the work, you're doing the podcast now. Like it, we're going to need, I, I think of that, uh, that quote in, uh, from 300 Sparta will, you know, we'll, we'll need sons. Sparta will need sons, something like that. And when I think about that, it's like, we're not just going to need like stupid losers like that, the politicians and the, the nothings and the people that don't do anything we need workers we need people to do things in the liberty movement and i'm one of those guys and so recently i i reached out to some state uh, assembly people i won't name their names because I, I, I don't know if they want to be named or anything but i reached out to a couple of them and they're we're, we're getting stuff working we're getting some stuff in the getting some stuff moving so i'm excited about that and see where that's going to go um because i want to be someone like you who's doing stuff in the in the movement sure. doing stuff in in the actual machine itself that we call politics so well i'd say you know i'd say for you especially because of how well versed you are in the history and you probably know i'm guessing you know a lot of like supreme court case law uh just from, not really no, no i know i know i mean when it comes to the second the basic, amendment like i i mean not even that really i mean i just there, there's i mean the thing about the courts is it's so vast like i know a handful of stuff i could tell you about Rickard versus Fulburn. i could tell you a lot about heller i could tell you about i mean just you know, some of the second amendment stuff um i could tell you about some of the famous ones like koromatsu and plessy versus sure. ferguson and dred scott some of the ones that, that we all know but um i mean wicked versus philburn is probably the, the biggest one that people don't know that they should know um but yeah i'm not i'm not too well versed in that stuff because I, to, honestly it's, it's a waste of my time like i don't care what these losers had to say because i know they're wrong and i can prove like give me their argument oh this guy this justice said this and all i have to do is compare it to the the constitutional knowledge they do have and all and again just look at article three look at article one section eight you don't have to be a constitutional scholar you don't have to know any of this stuff either you don't have to know what these judges know oh the thing here's the difference judges know case law they know supreme court case law they like to have this thing called precedent only sometimes only when it's convenient to them when it's when it's uh convenient to them in other ways they'll ditch precedent altogether and create a whole new stepping stone let's course, say of course so they've no like judges are, are just it's totally meaningless to me it's a total waste of time to me to research any of that stuff unless you're trying to like get out of prison like if you're going to court Yes, then you need to read and know all that stuff, know the record, and even beyond that, know your judge, know your prosecutor. Like then, that's when you have to play the game. But as far as the actual originalist history is concerned, I mean, you don't need to know what they said. You just compare it to the history, and you have your answer. Sure. Yeah, I just, I just really think that you and uh, uh, Michael Bolden from from the Tenth Amendment Center would have a great conversation on this stuff, man. I know. Well, even it. I'll tell you, you know, I learned so much, so much. You don't even understand. There was a debate between Tom Woods and Michael Malice about Alexander Hamilton, where I learned just, I mean, you probably could still find it, but it is, it is gold. It is absolute gold. They just dig into this man, both sides of it, deep history. It's, it's, it's amazing. And that's, I think that's how I actually was introduced to both those guys. And I have to say, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more of Michael Malice in my feed these days, and I'm liking it, dude. It's so, it's so well, and it's so white peeling. I mean, he put out this anarchist handbook, and it's trending number one on Amazon. And you're going? No, I'm not. Wow. I mean, I'm not. I'm not an anarchist. I'm not. I, I think, like I said earlier, I think it's just as utopic. I don't. I just don't think it works. Oh, sorry, it just, I lost this... you. What? I'm, I'm just kidding. No, go ahead. Like I said, I think it white con. Like, look at it this way. Communism, the Constitution, and uh, anarchism, they're kind of all very utopian in the sense that communism, oh, it'll work. You just have, everyone has to do exactly what they have to do, and then it will work. But guess what? We're human beings in this physical world. That doesn't happen like that. Anarchism, you just need people to leave you alone, and then you're good to go. But guess what? People don't leave you alone. I mean, we live that, we live that reality every single day. 
So anarchism, it's not going to work. Even, even if, just like in the founders, okay, now we get all these people together and guess what? We all agree on what liberty is. Okay, you, you finally did it. You created the constitution. We all agree on this stuff. Okay, next generation, or not even next generation, same generation, just the guys are in power now. Now the federalists are in power. Nope, doesn't work. So it's yeah. like, what do you do? And I think, I think what we have to realize is, is, is one thing, is that we are not going to create a society that, that we like. Well, we'll put it this way. We're not going to create this utopian society, whether it's anarchism, communism, or even my beloved republic that has uh, inalienable rights preserved forever. And completely like, this is not going to work. Benevolent. <laughs> completely benevolent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always. Uh, I, uh, listen, you know, I, I, it's funny because I, I am at heart an anarchist in principle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm definitely Murray Rothbard, and I think I'm even going further uh further than murray rothbard at this point yeah i'm getting i'm getting pretty i've been getting into hoppa a lot lately and 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 i think that the uh the the you know for me the national divorce idea is is big for me i'm a big fan of this this uh this this push to like uh secede from from you know these people that we can't live with i mean that's where we're where we've gotten is uh i can no longer live with these people you know what i mean these people that's that's what i'm saying all right, let me let me just break this down for you. You'll, you'll appreciate this. As as a self-identified anti-federalist, uh, this is kind of exactly what uh, they were arguing: is that listen, one of the big breaks that the the federalists had, particularly Madison, uh, that they had was everyone everyone loved this guy named Charles Montesquieu. Charles Montesquieu was probably the most cited uh, guy. Just no. He, yeah, probably more even than Locke. He was the most cited uh, philosopher on the, the principle of his government, separation of the powers, all this stuff. His one big break with Montesquieu was that you can have a republic over a large territory like the United States. Anti-Federalists were saying, dude, you are abandoning Montesquieu because he says you can only have it in small areas. And that's why, you know, you look at the Articles of Confederation. It was like, listen, no, every... Every state is its own nation, and it should be like that because the character, the people are different, the geographies are different, the climate is different, the culture is different. Like, if you're, you can't force fit these people to fit into one, you know, United States. It's just, it's not going to work. The great Montesquieu says it doesn't work. Also, we have tons of historical evidence that it doesn't work. Hello, Rome, people. You know, all these guys knew this stuff. But Madison had faith. He said, listen, I know it's an experiment, but I think we can do it because, listen, we are, we, we agree on one thing. The reason it works is that we agree on one thing, and that is liberty. We all agree on this concept of liberty that, listen, what is, again, what is it? What was the one thing they agreed on? That liberty, that uh, that you are free from the coercion of others. And we all agreed on that for a little bit, I guess, anyway. <laughs> but, I mean, when you look at it today, that is gone. We no longer uh, agree on what liberty means. Some people think it's, I mean, some people would just gladly sacrifice liberty for safety, for health care, for any, I mean, for anything, anything they want, anything to make them feel good. These, these people virtuous. will literally sacrifice their liberty for a uh, 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 degree in gender studies. I mean, it's, you know, yes, <laughs> I mean, that's yes, literally, yes. that's literally so, where we've gotten these days, man. So, yeah. So this idea of all oh, secessionists and nullification, it's so foreign to us. And it's like, no, it, it, it is more American than I think people realize. And that's why it's so important to read the anti federalists because they, they, are, they are also our founding fathers, whether we let, you know, whether we agree with it or not, they colored the constitution with their ideas we have the bill of rights because of them. Uh, they are also our founding fathers and this, their ideas are, are still relevant today. And so it's, it's very American, I think to, to say that, listen, the union isn't working. I mean, what are we, you, what are we united around anymore? What unites us anymore? I, I don't know what it is. Do you? No idea, dude. Uh, I think it's like, it only- I think it's like Mayo and, I don't. I think mayonnaise, mayonnaise and, and roads at this point. I, I don't. <laughs> I don't really. I don't really know. And here's a, You know, as somebody who grew up in the Bay Area in California, you know, I. Uh, it's it's funny because my my secession doesn't. You know, my my ideas of of, of nullification and secession. It, they don't come from uh, being worried about being in a multicultural society, right? Like some some people probably have that ideal. They don't want to live in a multicultural. I fucking loved it. I you know I, I'm from the Bay Area, California. I had great food everywhere I went. I had awesome Mexican neighbors who used to bring me over and drink fucking Coronas with me, and they were cool. And they you know they didn't like the liberal shit either. Um, Minus these, these people who wanna who wanna use the state. 
to smash my family, to smash my businesses, to smash my freedom of speech. And that's that's not a multicultural thing. That's fucking it's mostly uh, middle aged white liberal women. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, so, you know what's funny? You know what I would tell people is uh, people would say, it'll say the same thing about me, about any anyone who's center. If you're center right, you're a Nazi, you're Hitler, you're not Stalin or anything. We don't talk about Stalin or Mao or uh, Cambodia. We don't talk about Pol Pot. Yeah, we, we don't talk about those guys, but we always will talk about uh, Hitler. But uh, Who's also a socialist, by the way. But please, go ahead. <laughs> sure. <laughs> we, don't, we don't talk about this. No, he was a racist. We don't care about that part. Right. Nazi just meant racist. It doesn't. It doesn't mean anything about socialism. Anyway, uh, <laughs> um, what was my story about? Oh, so yeah, they'll say, "Oh, you're a racist," you know, blah blah blah. You don't like uh, foreigners and whatever. And I would tell them that I would gladly trade all those people in Hong Kong waving American flags against the Chinese. I, I'll take all of them in my in my own house. Bring them to my house and export uh, or deport. You know. White liberal women, get them out of here. <laughs> White will, women must a, be stopped, man. I will take a one-to-one -one <laughs> trade of liberals to anyone, any one of those Hong Kong people or any anyone who's like uh, in Venezuela, the people raising the American flag there, the people all over the world waving the American flag against tyrannical government. I want those people in America, and they're white and they're black, Asian, they're all kinds of colors, all different countries. I want those, those people, as far as I'm concerned, are misplaced Americans. True. They should be over here, and all these people who... To, just take for granted what they have here. Just white liberals really are the biggest problem. It's always middle-aged, um, uh, middle to upper, like upper middle to, mi to upper class white liberals from yes. affluent neighborhoods who have never had to struggle, yeah. have never, you know, it's none of these people are in touch. And it's the same, I mean, it's largely the same with our politicians, the people who are interpreting, interpreting these, these, uh, these governing documents as well. They've never lived in the struggle. None of them, yeah. none of them well, have ever I'm lived the struggle. Yeah, I would disagree that they're interpreting the documents. I don't well, think they've don't. ever read them. Yeah, that, they, they've yeah, never too. read them. Oh, Rand Ra Paul, just... Ra Paul has. Thomas Massey has. There's a few. Oh, we all, definitely. Oh, those guys have. Yeah, Ted Cruz, um, uh, Mike Lee, those guys, probably the Liberty Caucus guys, Jim Jordan. They're probably familiar with this stuff. Um, people like Lauren Boebert. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> probably but not. Guess what? I don't. But you know, I don't care. She's yeah. like, she's like the number one Second Amendment advocate there. Good enough for me. She she's right. She doesn't know why. Maybe, but I don't care. She's right anyway. <laughs> sure. sure, yeah, man, I agree. Well, brother, we're getting close to the end of this uh, this public chat, uh, guys. This book is good stuff. You need to check it out. If you have a podcast, if you have a liberty based show, hit up Stephen Daniel on on uh, Twitter. I, I've got his Twitter handle scrolling across the screen. Uh, make sure that it it gets in the uh, description of the video by tomorrow morning. Uh, this is one of the best guests that I think I've ever had, man. And you, you, well, you got like two hundred oh, wow. followers on Twitter. I, I'm a nothing on Twitter. I, I, the name, I used to be a podcast that I used to have, but I mean, podcasting in the Liberty sphere is just ruthless and it's, it's very hard, it's dude, very competitive. And I was like, eh, I'm, you know, I like it. I enjoyed it. I kind of wanted it to be like a Joe Rogan, like type, but except, except being like Joe Rogan, like kind of lefty plus or minus a couple issues. I wanted to be like the conservative Joe Rogan, True. but it, this is better. Writing about the Second Amendment was way better. Well, I started. I started this show off with the intent of making it a, just a straight up liberty based show, um, and we went into the unofficial season three with Top Lobster, who's my partner on the show, does all the artwork, and uh, I decided it wasn't just gonna. I wasn't gonna pigeonhole myself anymore to just having libertarians on my show. It's fucking stupid. It's something that we get we do as libertarian uh, uh, media people way too often. So I changed the whole bio and everything on all the platforms to you know politics, culture, music, and comedy because those. It's really at the end of the day, and I posted this on my Twitter today. Where it, this isn't uh, this isn't uh, an intellectual debate we're having in this country anymore. We're way past that. We're way past the intellectual debate. Yeah. We are now moved on to these ideologies are taking over. And at the end of this is my family and I being crushed. Okay. We're not, yes. we're not there anymore. And it, and it heavily depends on culture. A lot of mm -hmm. this depends on culture. You know, it's not just about the political ideology. 90% of the people in this country do not give a shit about political philosophy at all. We need to change the culture. And so if we're going to change the culture, we need to talk to people that are not, uh, ex do not see eye to eye with us on every single issue and talk about how we can work on the issues we do see eye to eye on. It's very fucking important, man. Steven, I am a huge fan already, brother. Where can these people find you? How can they support you? Where can they buy the book? All that great stuff. 
You can buy the book on Amazon. You can find me on Twitter, actual conversa one. Uh, and that's really about it. I got my email there. If you want to email me, that's cool. You know, I'm, I'm around. I'm on my phone. I have it on. We all have our phones on us. If we're honest, we're around. But, uh, but yeah, I'm around. I'm willing to talk to anyone. Um, you know, if you actually, if specifically to the liberals and to the dissenters, have me on. Let's talk. I, if I'm wrong about something, let's hammer it out. I'm not. I'm not one of these guys who's like, oh, I have to be right. If I'm wrong about something, I'm gonna. Oh, oh, damn! I must have missed that. My bad. But especially when it comes to Second Amendment, I, I don't think that's the case. But and I, let me just say this too, as as a final note. Um, so often in the liberty movement, we're always just trying to. Just tell people, no, tyranny's bad. Tyranny's bad. You don't want social communism bad. It's just like we're constantly telling people to like not chop off their limbs. Like, no, it's bad. Don't do it. When it's such a shame because the founders definitely envisioned us getting to the next level of liberty. Like they did what they could with their with their time they had. They didn't achieve all the things they wanted. Slavery being one of the big issues that they wanted to tackle. They laid the framework for, you know, for as best they could. But they always envisioned that we would get to the next level of liberty. And what's such a shame is that we never, it's very rare we have those conversations because, like we said, people on our side don't always converse and they don't always get along the best. And we're always arguing with these idiots that, that statism is bad. And it's just so nice to discuss with people like yourself, just, and it's, it's discussions like this that are going to get there, that we're going to get us there to that next level of liberty. So I appreciate what you do, my friend. Oh, well, thank you very much, man. Like I said, I'm a huge fan, brother. Uh, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, if you could just wait a couple of minutes here while I close out the public stream, Got we'll it. get that members only stream going and where we talk about all the controversial stuff. Oh, we get, we're going to, we're going to talk about how to defeat tyranny. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I have ideas. I have ideas. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you in one second. Man, guys, please go check out Stephen Daniel. That guy is amazing. Amazing. The book is called The Second Amendment, Rediscovering the Inalienable. Inalienable. There we go. I, I'm so bad with some words. You guys know that. It's the traumatic brain injury, I think. Uh, right to fire, uh, Firearm Ownership and Self-Defense. It's a good book. You can get it today here, let's get in focus there. You can get it today on uh, on Amazon Prime. Uh, like I said, I think it was like nine bucks. You can get it on Kindle. I have it there too. It's good stuff, man. It's really good stuff. It's a good way to red pill some of your uh, your friends that may not understand why we have the Second Amendment in this country and uh, just what that means. So go check them out. Go follow them. I'm a huge fan. I'm gonna shop around all the uh, all the Liberty podcasts. See how many we can get them on because that man could talk very well. Very well. I, I like I said. I would love to see him t- have a conversation with uh, with somebody like Michael Malice or or uh, or Michael Bolden, who who's coming on the show on the third. By the way, Michael Bolden and Scott Horton will be on together at the same time on Break the Cycle. You guys aren't going to have to hear me talk at all because it's all going to be them. Uh, drink your water, Josh. I know, man. I'm sorry. Here, here. Let me get a little. All right. Uh, I, there's no water in that cup, by the way. I faked that just for you, Lo-Fi. Uh, okay, guys, go check out my sponsors, toplobster.com, the man, the myth, the legend, my good friend and partner on the show, Break the Cycle, uh, where you can get all your graphic design needs met hand-drawn, like this great Epstein didn't kill himself shirt uh, hoodie that I'm wearing tonight. Uh, or you can join the Patreon subscribe star or become a channel member right here on the YouTube to get into the private Discord server where you can uh, get all of his brand new designs up to two weeks before they go to the general public at like a 30% discount. Really, really makes a big difference. And by the way, uh, huge shout out to Scrams Hop. Hoppa for becoming the uh, newest member of the YouTube channel here. I really appreciate you. And of course, executive producers of the show, Anthem Planning, for all your emergency and crisis planning needs. Check them out today. See what they can do for your business, home, or personal life. They're doing a wonderful job that the government has historically sucked at. Much cheaper and much more efficiently. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. Guys, coming up on the show tomorrow, Charlie Robinson's going to be on the show. Another based-ass author. You're going to want to check this out. I promise you. He's good friends with Top Lobster, so I'm sure it's going to be dope. And of course, on Friday, I'm doing an early show a matinee at about three o'clock uh corn time or that's central time for you people who don't know my humor uh with the mad ones probably one of the most underrated podcasts in the liberty liberty sphere i love these people i'm very excited to have cam and jess on uh guys go and support the show if you can financially i know i tell you about it every show but uh i i made a post today and we have a goal on patreon uh, I'm going to start doing more man-on-the-street stuff and actually traveling around to events and uh, making live uh, live videos there and also doing um, new content where that's recorded and edited and all that great stuff for some of this stuff. So that's going to be a whole new adventure for me. 
um, and I want to get it done, but we definitely have to get the show more financially supported. So we're we're uh, I think we're like twelve uh, percent of the goal or or fifteen percent of the goal or something like that. So we're we're getting there. But I appreciate you guys very much. I will see you tomorrow for the show with Char- uh, Charlie Robinson. But until then, don't forget to break the cycle. to explain the lyrics of my last song may seem to contain a violent call to action in the verse of the frame but I just spent it in Minecraft the helicopter part was in reference to GTA 5 and the things you do so any violence you commit I am not an excuse because I just spent it in Minecraft what trooper is my friend and he's constantly cold accusations of incitement getting totally old Make your own choices, yeah, you have control Because I just meant it in Minecraft Obviously I would never advocate force Unless it's due process and a trial, of course And if you're convicted, we will make you a corpse In Minecraft, just in Minecraft You're nothing I mean, you know it The product is cause you're close to COVID Holy shit, I think I'm poet In Minecraft, in Minecraft